Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of taking care, taking our 40s, what is it, 70 plus years of experience and making sure that you have an awesome, awesome game, you know, uh, and bringing out all the secrets that you thought you knew or you didn't know. And that's what we're here for. By the way, folks, that's not an even split. He does have more years than I do. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, I well, have more uh, years than Trav. Oh, yeah. Trav, right. is, Trav is our junior member. Oh, yeah. And uh, even when we had John, uh, and it was only when we had Peter that Trav was, wasn't the ju- junior most member. Right, yeah. But anyways, uh, so this week we are talking about gaming hacks. And these are things, you know, uh, tactics, techniques, ideas. These are things that we have learned in so many different games and genres and things over the years. And sometimes people just don't have any clue about them. They just, they're totally floored when we start doing it, uh, when you do some of these things. But they can really make a big difference to the enjoyment you have in the game and the success that you have in the game. So that's what we're going to be doing this week. Uh, So, uh, uh, now, a lot of them are going to be oriented toward Dungeons and Dragons because, oh, you know, since this is the things that we've done over the years, you know, uh, both you know, Trav and I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. We've oh, yeah. also played lots of Tritac games, and so that may also show up a bit. Uh, but we wanted to, you know, try to keep this as generic as possible because we know you all play different systems. Savage Worlds is going to be mentioned. Um, I don't know enough about Traveler to go in and make a suggestion there, but we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, but anyways, um, so I guess the first thing we want uh, I want to mention is fire, fire and flaming oil. Uh, flaming oil is pro- uh, is probably one of the most underrated first level and lower low level uh, attack forms in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I've been. I'm now on fifth edition. I started first edition. It was much more effective then than it is now because they've tried their best to nerf it because it was so effective. But you know the biggest problem that Dungeons and Dragons has always had is what they refer to as the five minute workday, which is this, uh, which is referring more to mages than anything else. They had like one spell, and once they cast it, they were done. Until unless they went and lay down and took a rest, and then later on they said, "Oh, well, you have bonuses, spells if you have higher intelligence." Yeah, and, the the Vancean method of fire and forget. Yes, right. But the point still was is that they only had one thing they could do, and then uh, and and then they were basically re- relegated to doing one of two things: either throwing daggers, throwing darts, or getting or God help them. Uh, uh, get out there and go toe to toe with like a uh, uh, a long uh, two hand uh, uh, two handed stick. Yeah. Okay. A quarter staff. Um, and 
And what so many people missed was flaming oil. In first edition, flaming oil, uh, all you needed to hit somebody with flaming oil was armor class 10. It was as, No matter what their armor, it was as if they weren't wearing any. Because all it had to do was hit them and light up. And if you know anything about oil, you know it just flames up, goes through holes. They're breathing in. They're breathing in the fire, the smoke. It's getting in between the cracks of their armor. You know, unless somebody has like an environmental suit, there's no way the flaming oil isn't. You know, it basically just soaks through. And a lot of D and D said things like acid go right through armor. Oh, yeah. Other things, you know. So flaming oil did one d six damage the first round. And then 2d6 damage the second round. So this attack could theoretically do 3d6 damage with the second round is free. As soon as you get the first one off. And usually you could do things like take a, a, a ceramic pot and you score it so that it was it was almost broken. And then you could throw it and you, and you knew that it would shatter. Okay, even And e whether you hit or missed, okay, it still did splatter damage, flaming splatter damage oh, yeah. in a in a five foot radius around you. So you know, up to you know, four either six squares or however many you know, it, with the angles and stuff. If you had somebody um, like a line of guys, you could get all those people around them and they'd have to make a saving throw where at which point they would take either zero damage or they take one hit point. So again, you the first round you might be doing, you know, a total of uh, what, 11, 12 points of damage, six to the one, your target, and then one point to everybody around you, and then two, uh, 2d6 the second round. And you know what that cost you? A couple gold pieces maybe to buy the oil, and then, you know... One the, the, gold piece. Yeah. One then... gold piece. <laughs> I mean, a sword costs five gold pieces, yeah. you know, and... and, and the, you know, things like oil costs like 20 or 25 gold pieces. Uh, not oil, uh, acid, you know, yeah. which had, had less effect. Well, because okay. in D&D, they often, acid was made by the NPC alchemist, so they put time and money into it. Oil, sure. that's just, okay, it's there. We, you know, get it out and done. And, right. and the thing is about the flaming oil in Pathfinder, they have... In the Advanced Player's Guide, the Alchemist. Now, they have a bomb class feature that, of course, gains more damage as you gain higher levels in Alchemist. And, yeah, a lot of people who want to do that, they go for that. But this here, anybody can make, and we'll even use the modern-day term, a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, oil in a flaming rag. It's, it's not even a Molotov cocktail. It's really just fine oil that burns easily. It's like lamp oil. Yeah. So what it really is, you take the same oil you put in your lanterns. That was how it was listed in, in, in first edition. It wasn't special oil. Later on, they tried to make it special to try to raise the price. The worst is is um, um, is oh, uh, holy water, because holy water costs like 25 gold pieces for a pint. And it does the same, does 2d6 damage to undead and only undead. Yeah. You throw, you know, in, in first edition, you threw a pot of oil. You could do three d six damage, not two d six, three d six damage, and it worked on everything. It worked on all undead, except like the ones that were watery. I mean, there were a few that were literally soaked in water and yeah, just like laugh like at that. like drowned sailor zombies or something. Yes, I, I forget the yeah, name. They, they, yeah, 
they, they had a uh, in, in Dragon Magazine, uh, not Dra Dungeon Magazine, they had a whole adventure thing called the Drowned Ones. And yeah, that's and what they, they're called uh, in the, they the Pathfinder. They, they, they're literally oozing. Yeah, well, I, I used them in one of my campaigns and had a lot of fun with them. But still, the point is, is that, you know, especially in first edition, this thing was great, okay? So you had, you know, and and most uh, and, and most mages, because their armor was so bad, yeah. okay, uh, because they only had one spell, and therefore they weren't going to spend it on mage armor, because then they wouldn't have an attack spell. Yeah. You, know, you needed that sleep spell to take out those first level monsters. So, you know, they had such poor armor classes that that anything that any high score they had that wasn't going into intelligence was put into dex. Yeah. You know, and of course, if you're generous about your your roll up rules, you, they'd have an 18 dex. Well, that translates into plus four to hit yep. against armor class 10. So now all they have to do is roll a six. On their uh, on their attack roll, and 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 how many, and they can throw this every single round because you know let's say it, 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 most combats don't last more than ten rounds. Right. So that whole combat, the mage spent ten gold pieces. You're probably going to get ten gold pieces off the bodies. Oh yeah. So, flaming oil was a huge, huge. Huge thing, okay, and um, it was also great if you had a druid because the druid would do the protection from fire spell on himself that would would protect him up to X amount of points of damage. Yeah, and then he just throw flaming oil on himself and just rush the enemy, <laughs> rush, and just they'd scatter. They just scatter because they'd lose morale immediately. This flaming monster is rushing at them, screaming, and they're like, you know, so flaming oil, totally underappreciated really needs really needs a lot more love than um, you know than it has and even in fifth edition uh, like I said they've nerfed it quite a bit but it's still you know for what you're getting you know uh, when you're low level now higher level of course you know it's not gonna be that big of a deal but guess what you know after you used up all your spells or let's say you don't want to use up all your spells. You're saving those first-level spell slots or second-level spell slots for more important things. You can still throw the oil. It's still going to give you what it was, a, a D8 or 2D6. I can't remember what it is anymore. But I'm just saying it's going to give you something. And it's not that expensive. So do that flaming oil. <laughs> well, as I, as I said, it... it they brought the alchemist class into this to try to make it, you know, because if you're there, let's see, it's like every three or four levels that you get another D6. So you get up there, you're throwing like a four or five or 66 attack, but it takes a while to do that. The flaming oil, as I said, anybody can do it. It's easy for them to do. You can get oil in the town and just carry like a bandolier or flask of oil Flint and, flint and tinder aren't all that expensive. You don't even need that. There's a there's a uh, there's a thing called a slow wick. Okay, it's used by uh, cannoneers. It's basically like a cigar. It's a it's a piece of rope that has um, uh, that has saltpeter uh, uh, gunpowder embedded in it, and it just keeps on burning. It burns, oh, okay. And they and they just go <clears throat> on it, and it gets gets real hot, and they touch touch the touch hole, and boom, it goes off. So they never have to worry about not, you know, losing their their thing. Uh, okay. So, um, hmm. 
and 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 that 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 exists. That ex- I mean, that's that's not something that's hard to find. You know, that's a that's a low tech item. There's no reason why such a thing would not be available in any fantasy world. Well, see, if it's a cannon wick, and I might be nitpicking here, but you're gonna have those GMs that, well, in my game, we don't have cannons or gunpowder, all that. Then still, just use. Then you would be making a Molotov cocktail, basically. Get a rag, light it, put it in, you know, put the thing in there, light and throw it, and it's the same effect. Right. Well, just, then you have to carry a torch. That's all. Well, yeah, just as I said, source of fire, the rag, the oil, and you're good to go. And, right. and you, you can you, also you can also have a, a, a ceramic jar full of hot coals. Yeah, because those will catch something on fire. Yeah, you stick the you stick the the, the, the oily rag into it, blow on it, poof, lights up. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So and you can you can have that like sitting right in front of you, you know, in, in a little holder, so you can so you don't have to need you don't need a third hand to do that. Yeah. So it's it's just if you want to set this up, you can do it. And but I I, I like the slow wick because it's. It's, 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 it's something that I read about years later, and I was like, oh, man, I, everybody would have this, you know, because you never know, you know, when, you know, when your uh, lantern is going to get knocked over or if all of a sudden you need to light up a lantern. You want to shut your lanterns down so they don't see it. Right. But you but you, you want to be able to light it up at a moment's notice, and you don't have those bullseye lanterns that, you, that, that are right. fitted. Right. So you, uh, so you, but you still have this little burning wick thing there. So when the time comes, you just open it up, stick it in, and go, and light it up, oh. and it's going. So yeah, it just seemed like something that would be useful. And I figure whoever's job it is to go around town and light up the the lights on the posts outside or yeah. whatever, you know, would have something similar to this, you know, because I mean, okay, they're, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, may, maybe they're doing it all with a, a, a taper. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's it's hard to say, uh, but um, it's not just for D and D. Okay, flaming oil is a great tactical tool to use on a spaceship because in most cases, you know, when you get into an emergency, you, you know, and there's fire, the first thing that what's the first thing that happens? Usually, a fire suppression system will kick in, and there's foam everywhere. That's possible. It's also possible. That they're going to shut down the ventilation so that it you know fire doesn't get other places. Well, so I mean, starships start, are starships are segmented anyway, so they can just you know slam down bulkheads and it's contained. That's the same right. reason for when you have a hull breach. So yeah, right, but you're but you're in combat. Okay, yeah. you're in combat with these people, and all of a sudden you throw a whole bunch of flaming oil at them. All right, and what happens is is that uh, they it's using up all their oxygen. You think ahead. You have your own oxygen supply. They may not. You know, they're just the crew. They weren't expecting you to suddenly come on board. If they're in spaceships, it won't work. I mean, spaceships, uh, spacesuits. But if they're not, then all of a sudden you're using up a very precious resource. Yeah. You're throwing CO2 in the air. You're taking away their oxygen. You know, uh, the ship's AI may say, well, yeah, let's let's let the oxygen go down because that'll put the fire out. You know, and meanwhile, the the crew is falling unconscious because of it. Smoke, it adds smoke, you know, yeah. to, which reduces the amount of vision, which reduces the effectiveness of uh, beam weapons. Yep. And uh, not to mention they can't see, you know, one side or the other, can't see very well through it. 
So I'm just saying, even in a modern situation, and it's tremendously uh, scary. I mean, we have an innate fear of fire. It's not just Frankenstein's monster. Everybody's afraid of fire when it gets thrown at them. Well, yeah. Okay, so in a modern setting, you know, you, you have some gang situation, and all of a sudden one side starts throwing flaming oil at the other. I have a feeling that that situation might, you know, fall into chaos pretty quickly. Yeah. They may and- not... They may no longer have their ducks in a row on one side. Well, what what's the phrase I think Mike Tyson said? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Same thing. Right. When something primal like that, like, oh, crap, rampant fire, yeah, mob mentality ensues. You could be the most tightly regimented gang known. Fire, all of a sudden it's, you know, wildfires there. Nope, everybody's running. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know fire, it, it's it's... It's not really that bad. You get fire on you, it's going to burn you, it's going to scar you. But, you know, unless you breathe it in or you really get a lot of it, it's probably not going to kill you, but you're going to think it's going to kill you because it's going to be so painful. You know, and that's what I'm talking about, how people will, you know, they they may take a shot and, and, you know, and suck it up, but if they're on fire... Their hands are burning. They, you know, they, they can't use their weapons effectively. It they're too busy face. patting the fire out. Yeah, yeah, they're too busy putting the fire out to, to, and they're and they're falling back because you know I'm trying to get this fire off of me. So you know you can break. They'll break ranks. You know, there's, there's so many ways that it can tactically screw up the situation, and it's just fire. It's just flaming oil. Okay, so you want to take uh, number three. Yeah, uh, use hirelings and henchmen. They can use missile weapons and oil from second rank. Great for meat shield for clerics with concentration spells. Easily healed to effective health. Yes, um, in Pathfinder, you and D&D 3.0, 3.5, you had the feat leadership. Now, you don't get it until 7th level minimum, but once you do, you ha- get a cohort who at the most is two levels below you unless you... There's a feat for 3.5 you can translate over called Enhanced Cohort, which, no, now it's one level lower than you. And you get a series of followers. You'll get, like, a double digit of level 1s and then tenth, one-tenth of that for level 2, 3, 4, 5, and it halves each time. So if you are charismatic and relatively decent level, you can get a, a cohort and a bunch of followers. And they can still pick up a gun, a sword, a knife, a club, throwing the oil, you know, archers. Crossbows. Crossbows, yeah. Throwing darts, throwing daggers, throwing flaming oil. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and if they're they're easily healed, they're going to be low level. First level, you know, what what was the thing in, um, in Pathfinder? It's a fighter. Warrior. They have a D8 instead of a D10. Or you get an expert, you know, just somebody, or even the aristocrat, who even though he's supposed to be a minor noble, I believe the aristocrat has simple and martial weapon proficiency and all three armor proficiencies because, you know, they they train in, you know, courtly combat. So they still get the proficiencies. So if you get these hirelings and henchmen, they can still do minor combat stuff that, you know, and they're they're loyally following you. The whole point of leadership is you don't pay these people. They follow you because of your your reputation, your charisma. 
So you can have them do stuff because they know, well, we're, we're helping our, our, our leader out. So, yeah, having minions, and no, I'm not talking little one-eyed Twinkies on the cartoon. I'm talking your cohort, your followers, and just your entourage, I guess would be. Right. And, yeah. and in first and second edition, you just went out and posted advertisements for them and they showed up and you made them a good offer and they came to work for you yeah and they would get a portion of the trade if they were a henchman they got a portion of the treasure and they would get ha half the experience you got so that you probably would unless something happened to you they would never you know advance on you uh but they would advance so uh you know at these and, 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 and low levels especially you know, it's just you, you have all these extra hit points because they're dishing out the damage. They are standing there and taking the hit for you, uh, you know, which makes your hit points more effective. Yeah. Um, they uh, they're they're generally cheap. You know, in, in, in general, these are these are just people that want, you know, the, uh, the henchmen are, in a sense, they're adventurers. They can rise levels. Hirelings, on the other hand, they're like men at arms. You know, they, they may never rise in level, but still, they're, that's why I said they can hurl oil or throw fire arrows from the second rank where the, the, the real meat shield's in front, you know, and if you give them better armor, uh, then, you know, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, it's, uh, you know, they, they can really add a whole lot of tactical advantage. You know, for something that doesn't take a whole lot, you know, to, to do. Uh, now, one of the most effective hirelings or henchmen or whatever you want to call them uh, that I've, I've ever had has been war dogs. Because they are trained fighters. Yeah. They, they do, they have 2d6 hit points, or 2d8, I'm sorry, they're two hit dice monsters. So, you know, um, and... Um, they do significant amounts of damage on the bite, and you know uh, a lot of uh, a lot of games will allow you to train them to do certain tricks, things like grabbing the opponent and holding them still, going for the throat. Oh yeah, the, the um, handle animal skill. Yes, Josie yeah, uses just, it a lot. Yep, just jumping up on an opponent, knocking them down. You know, so they can't use missile weapons. See, so, you know, these are things that large, heavy war dogs can do uh their armor class isn't that bad and you can put mage armor on them so and which allows you as you go up levels to keep them around, even though they're only two two hit dice to keep them effective for at least to three or four fifth level well i think also uh, this might apply for like things like not so much familiars because they're not really attack animals but like a druid or a ranger's animal companion Right. Because you can buff those. There's the, the, the druid spell and ranger spell, Magic Fang and Greater Magic Fang, where you can mm -hmm. augment their bite attacks sure. and then sick them, you know. Um, right. But, but see, these things cost, like, uh, again, I believe it's 15 gold apiece. And you never have to pay for them again. They're always going to be loyal to you. Oh yeah, you yeah, because you can buy henchmen, hirelings in in uh, 3.0, 3.5, and Pathfinder. They've got it there in the equipment sections. Right. And you can buy them in anything from you know uh, load bearers to 
scribes. You know, you can buy something. Unlike a lot of animals, they go into dungeons. Yeah, that's right. A lot of animals you can't take in a dungeon. That's and right. You, okay, Bruce, have you heard of the comic Nodwick? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. My my second wife collected Nodwick, and I think I still have a few issues here. For those of you who don't know... Have who, you heard of the comic Gru? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's old school there, yeah. <laughs> well, but, so is Nodwick. <laughs> well, Nod, uh, Nodwick's about 10 years old. Gru, I remember from, like, the 90s and before. Yeah. Well. Sergio Aragonis has been drawing Gru for some time, but for those of you who don't know about Nodwick, you have this adventuring party, a wizard, a cleric, a fighter, and then you have their henchmen. Nodwick, this little guy with a big nose, and apparently he's used as bait. He's used, and Tiffany, the the cheerful Velma-like cleric, just patches him up with her healing duct tape, and he's good to go. And the funny thing about this type of henchman, and there is a Nodwick comic, I may have it somewhere, that they made the henchmen, such as Nodwick, into a D20 OGL class. Like they say, folks, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'll find the issue. But yeah. and, and in the story, they have unions. And a uh-huh. lot of these henchmen are conspicuously look alike. Short, kind of stocky with a round head and a big nose. Mm-hmm. But they unionized. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. And, and one of the things that they have for superpowers carry tremendous load. Yes, that they have a special ability. They can carry loot that there is no way that physics would allow to carry it, but they do. And yeah, so, as, as long as they can basically get it like over their back. Well, they could qualify anything as loot. If they're saying we're taking the dragon for parts, they'll carry a great worm out, and they're only maybe you know Nodwick's maybe three and a half feet tall. Oh yeah, they, they, he's he's moved like you know. Twin ten foot wide balls of granite, on here. <laughs> and 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 the and the mage, you know, is one of these, um, uh, you know, like lich type mages who had him, and and he and he was like saying, uh, so if I asked you to to move like a, a thousand pounds, um, would you do it? He says, no, that's crazy. I, I would I would I would give myself a hernia. It would, would kill me. It would I would die. He says, really? Uh, okay. Uh, Nodwick, uh, could you move that uh, that that statue there over to the other side of the room? Okay. So he goes over, <laughs> carries, like it weighs nothing, like yeah. three times a thousand, like three thousand pounds. Just carries her, sets it down. He says, and the and the wizard just says, you know, I think I've just discovered something really important about the universe. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with this though? You know, yeah. So, right. Yeah. But anyways, you know, henchmen are, are you know, are so valuable. A lot, a lot of them have heal, can be healers, you know. And here's something that you know, in, in the area of healing is something we did all the time in first edition, but it kind of fell out of, out of favor because it wasn't written down in the books. And everybody wanted to play the game as written. And that was binding wounds. It used to be that anytime you got injured, you could bind your wounds for one hit point. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, sound like much, but uh, I can't tell you how many times we had henchmen and hirelings and such that only had eight hit points, and they were down to zero. And binding them got them up. Yeah, I mean they'd be limping around, but you know they're alive. 
yeah. they can fight because it's D and D, and as long as you have one hit point, there's no minuses to your ability to attack or whatever. Right. Yep. You know, and even at third edition, if you have if you have zero hit points, you're still allowed to move and do simple things. As long, as long as you don't take what's officially an action. Yeah, you can do a move action or a standard action around. You can't do both. It's called staggered, yes. Well, you, you really can't even do a standard action because if you do something like cast a spell... Oh, yeah, yeah, or, it is just attack, a move action. Yeah. Then you have to make a, a fortitude check, and if you don't, you lose a hit point. That's and right. Not, and now you're in the negatives and you're dying. Yeah. So, um, But anyways, being able to heal that one hit point, if you were, in, if you were when you were low level... You know, the monsters that you were fighting didn't do that much damage. So over the course of an adventure, binding wounds might have healed you 15 points of damage. 15 different times you got hit. Yeah. So, you know, and of course you multiply that times five or six henchmen and hirelings and all, and everybody else's stuff. You know, binding wounds was a significant part of healing, and it just seemed to have disappeared over the years. Well, it's because everybody got enraptured by, oh, I want to be able to cast a spell, and it does 1d8 plus my caster level. Never yes. underestimate the heal skill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, in, in later games, people would start saying, well, yeah, we have magical healing, but you can also do healing as a, as a, as a, a skill, a healing skill, or... Uh, you know, in, in a lot of games like Savage Worlds, uh, there if you have if you use magic or or miracles or things like that in your game, then you can do that kind of healing. But you can also just do a repair check and uh, or a for, you know a medical check, and you can heal people of significant amount of damage. Oh yeah, and um, okay, you remember when years ago we had Doctor Nick Palmer on. Sure. Okay, well, he does, for Pathfinder, Modern Adventures from his label Panic Productions. And the heal skill now for Pathfinder, with Modern Medicine involved, you do 1d4 plus 1 hit points, and if you make the roll by 5 or more, you add your Wisdom modifier to the damage healed just with first aid, binding mm -hmm. wounds. So, yeah. due to, you know, antiseptics and proper bandages and you know just modern medical technology even from a damn first aid kit so yeah higher hirelings and henchmen's really would benefit from that if you use the leadership skill from pathfinder in a modern setting or what was the other squad leader from a psy watch which is just basically a military version of of the leadership skill but yeah hirelings and hench hirelings and henchmen because they're low hit point, they're just extra strong backs and, you know, a couple extra pairs of arms and legs. Minuscule healing does wonders for them. And yeah. they are going to get back up and help you. And again, you've paid good money or, you know, the leadership skill, you know, they're following you out of a sense of duty. Yeah, as long as you or, patch them up Or you're them paying alive. them well and they have good morale. Well, yeah, yeah. But it's when they start unionizing like Nodwick and the problems begin. It's like no, our our coffee break is at three fifteen. Yes, we're going to be over here around the campfire, but yeah, there's a battle. No, 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 no. You need rules. Yeah. That's that's fine. That's that's where the role playing comes in. Okay. Well, you see, that's why necromancers have done dead. Undead can't form unions. Think about it. You don't need to feed them. You don't <laughs> just. <laughs> yes, you don't need to feed them. But one cleric can basically cause your entire party to have. Well. Uh... <laughs> 
details. Yes. You know, I mean, he, I mean, you know, and again, that's one of the reasons why I go for the, the four footed uh, hirelings and henchmen because their, their morale checks are better than human morale checks. Yeah, you can't and, just handle, handle animal on a on a on a, a scribe or a bearer. Right. Yeah, they have better hit points. Uh, they can wear studded leather armor. Some of them could probably even wear chain. I don't. I mean, they're the bigger ones. Um, you know, they. Oh God! They what have, do they call horse armor? Barding. Uh, barding. Barding. Yes. Yeah, there's dog barding. Oh yeah, well because you have riding dogs for gnomes and uh, halflings. Yeah. Sure. And uh, I, my wife wanted to play a uh, um, a uh, a, no, a halfling paladin, and we were we were I was setting her up with a riding dog because she couldn't ride a regular horse. Even a pony was too yeah. big for her. And it, and her and, and the the time we were playing three four zero, and she was really restricted on movement. She didn't like that. So well, was fine. We'll ride you into combat <laughs> on the back of your dog, and then your dog can fight with you. Yep. You know, for you. So yeah, so uh, and it and and this is more important now in five zero that most uh, spellcasters, including clerics, have con have a lot of spells that used to be just fire and forget are now concentration spells, which means that if your opponent hits them, there's a good chance that they're going to fail. Their spell's going to fail. It's going to be gone. Right. So you need to make sure that you don't get hit. So that those those hirelings, I mean. You know, if they can take a hit and go down, but they still t but they still stopped the, that opponent from hitting you, is one more round that a very effective concentration spell is still in operation. Oh yeah, there's the spell. And matter of fact, my Sunday gamer and fellow podcaster Amber Allen, she plays sort of a water druid, has the implosion spell, and that is concentration. So it's like. Make sure she doesn't get hit so the dragon goes down, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, concentration spells, if you surround yourself with the half, the halflings, the henchmen, the cohorts, the followers, some serious damage can be done. And right. then because you kept that cleric alive, mass, you know, cure light wounds and you're good to go. Yeah. Right. And so, here, you know, here I am in 5th edition playing a cleric, okay? And I'm playing a spell which is called um, Spirit Guardians. And this thing basically creates these little fairy-type creatures out of uh, pos positive energy. Um, and the um, uh, anybody who, any enemy, and basically, you know, anybody that I have not designated as a friend... With every round that there was within that fifteen-foot radius of me, takes three d8 damage. Oh, unless they unless they can save for half, and you know, which means that they're going to be taking damage every round, a lot of damage possibly, and um, so if if I can you know if if I can keep them off of me, that means the next round another who knows five six mo uh, monsters are all going to take damage. And that, for the hit points of that one person who went down. And in 5th edition, when you go down, you don't go into the negatives. You go to zero. And then after that, you start taking death shock checks, okay? Oh, okay. And then, and, and, and let's say a lot of them go down. I cast one healing word, mass healing word, okay? They're all full. I mean, because they're low level. Yeah. You know, bang, they're up. You know, they're, and they're they're still acting as a meat shield, and I and I and because I'm a healing cleric, I get 
five points of healing <laughs> back to myself, you know, assuming that I even got hit. So it's just it's just such uh, you know these guys uh, being in uh, you know being my meat shields, uh, attacking the opponents, me supporting them. Um, it's such a a, a a huge advantage for the party that I just don't understand. You know why people don't do it more, and I'm I'm trying to get my GM right now to see me getting more henchmen, more type of people like this. We we've actually got a whole bunch of them hired for our house as guards and things like that, but he hasn't been letting us bring them with us on adventures. Well, I can understand that from a meta standpoint, Bruce, because let's face it. As you get higher level in, in 3.0, 3.5 Pathfinder, everybody wants leadership. And all of a sudden, you're having to run a combat with... It's almost like a mass combat. you got to get the mass combat rules out from a Ultimate Campaign. A lot of GMs yeah. don't want to go through that. I see why... I mean, you're looking at it as a matter of effectiveness in combat. He's looking at it as a damn headache. <laughs> Just... Because I'm I'm dreading for when my characters get high level and they oh I want to have my you know like uh, Pixie's husband Jeff you know he's he's a, yeah. a Carsis mage who's also a biker and in a few games ago his entire gang got wiped out yeah I well, know that, he's going to get leadership yeah. and want his gang back and I'm gonna be like oh crap I got to run all these idiots right. now well that's on you the player yeah okay. it's on you the player to make it easy for the GM so for example. Is it you know you should have like a a party sheet, okay? Yeah. Uh, you should have pre you should have pre, uh, pre rolled all your henchmen's rolls ahead of time, so that you know this round, okay, he got this, he got this, he got this, got this because I already rolled them, and you know maybe it's effective, maybe it isn't. It doesn't matter. The point is that the GM's like you you basically can handle a group of six people in like thirty seconds. If you, know, if you make it easy for the GM, the GMs will be like, well, okay, fine, let's move on to you. Oh, I don't know what spell I want. Let me look it up. <laughs> Which is what the rest of our party is like. It's well, like they never for, for are ready as, when it's their turn. As far as having rolls set up, three words. Dice, rolling, apps. <laughs> well, you know, that's only if you want to do it right then. You can roll them ahead of time if the GM will... Will permit you, and of course, if you if you can see that they're failing and win, you know, it it really does seem like a random rolls. Then you you know you all that calculation can be done ahead of time, and you know the GM will accept it, and you just simply go, he got this, 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 and it's like, okay, fine. So we know what happened. Uh, it's if you make it easier for the GM, the GM will make it will 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 work with you. He'll yeah. cooperate. Okay, and that brings us to our next point, which is remind the GM that monsters have morale. <laughs> they, you know, um, and they and they lose morale when they're hit with area of effect attacks, like big law, you know, a, a lot of lobbing of flaming oil. Or, yes, refer okay. to previous two points. I'm yeah. going to keep coming back to this flaming oil this entire this entire session, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it it was a pain and a half to do it in first edition because you know you're supposed to calculate it all out and whether the 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 uh, the, the bad guys their their um, their leader was was their leader in view was their leader at half hit points 
you know, had the leader done, had they been able to do damage to you, things like that, you know, and, and there was all these calculations, but, you know, the, you know, and it's just, it's up to the GM. I, I say the GM should just wing it. You know, if we're, if you're like grinding through, the, you know, the enemies, you know, even if you're, especially if they see you're getting healed, okay, then they should, there should come a point way before they get to the end. I mean, this whole fight to the last person dies. You know, I have always hated that in fantasy role-playing or any other kind of role-playing. People will cut and run when they lose hope. Self-preservation, yeah. Yeah, but when you lose hope, you know, that's, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that there has yet to be a battle in which it was firmly clear which side was winning when one side decided to cut and run. You know, they, they attributed it to fog of war, they attributed it to the chaos, but the fact is, is that, you know, if people think that they're going to die and not, and, and, and not be effective, they're going to turn and run. So it's, it's, you got to dope them up, you know, like they used to do some of the warriors, you know, uh, in, 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 um, in, in Asia and such. So they, 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 not only were they fearless, they weren't even thinking. They just ran in there and attacked, 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 attacked. Well, it's attacked, like and... the Vikings with the Berserker Rage, where they just lose their stuff and they just white out. Right. Or, you, or yeah, even that's with the, the only way that makes sense to fight to the last man. With, or with um, I'll use Robotech. The Zentradi were given combat drugs in their rations, so they would fight and get that way anyways. But yes. when the humans got to them and tried to assimilate them in the society, well, guess what? They're eating human food. Great, you now have it. Well, granted, before they're micronized, they're eating a whole cow at every meal. But you now have Good a fifth, you now have a forty foot tall man going through detox. Yep. So yeah, that's that. Sometimes it's a good thing. I do have a system here, and you can use it 3.0, 3.5, and Pathfinder. It is from the late lamented perpetrated press, and you've probably mentioned heard me mention these books before. Arsenal and Factory, basically how to get techno magic armor and weapons and explosives and computers and robots into your D20 games. But they have a way for doing morale. Now let's say one of your people throws. <laughs> a area effect attack, you know, flaming oil or an alchemist bomb or whatever. It's real simple. You start with a will a will save of the base of 10. This DC is then modified by twice the difference between the new encounter level and the average party level. So if your average party level is, you got a bunch of fourth level characters. And the new encounter level, because you've had some people, somebody was at ground zero for that, you just basically saw your leader get immolated because you hit him dead on with the, the flaming oil. Well, let's say he's a level three and all of his cronies are level one. Well, you got a bunch of level ones. Uh, so four, one, three, times two, six. You just basically have the remaining people make a DC 16 will save. I'm going to tell you right now, most, you know, thugs, warriors, brigands, not high will saves. They put it all into fort and reflex. Right. You're going to see a lot of people scatter. And again, you know, a dice rolling app is good for this. But yeah, it's after you drop the, the encounter level, as I said, you take out the leader. So you have the average party, the encounter level drop precipitously. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, as I and, said, and when you have morale, you, it's then a good technique to concentrate on that leader. Yeah. 
and for this then, very reason. Well, as I said, twice the difference between the new encounter level and your average party level. Any creature that fails to save will retreat or surrender depending on the situation, their belief about the consequences of capture. Again, that's where good role-playing comes in. You know, But yeah, that's, that's a simple rule for OGL-based games, and it came out of Arsenal, a book that came out, I think, in what? hell 2002 two years after the big d20 boom after the ogl was created but there you go folks that's a quick hack for those games i don't know what other games have morale checks i mean there are feats that allow you to use intimidate in groups i'm sure that if you sit there and um, because for intimidate you can't use the full intimidate in combat you can only demoralize which makes your one opponent shaken for what is it one round and an extra round for every five you make the roll by and i think the dc is 10 plus hit dice plus wisdom mod so if you make it you you know you make that by 10 well then he's shaken for three rounds shaken is a minus two on all your rolls and there are feats i'm sure like an ultimate campaign or whatever that can allow you to intimidate a whole group where just you're standing there and you scream and 30 guys just all of a sudden go, oh, crap. So, yeah, morale is important. What What is it? The best battle is the one that you never have to fight? <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the sort of paraphrase from the line out of the uh, uh, the Tarzan film. Ah. Where where he's he's trying to get this uh, tribe to join in to, to help defend the land against these poachers and such. You know, they all have guns and these guys got spears and such. And the and the uh, and the chief says, well, he says, if you want us to help, you gotta you gotta answer a question. And he says, what is it? He says, after a journey of a thousand miles, you meet your enemy. What's the first thing you want to make sure of? And of course, you know, Tarzan thinks for a second and he says. That the journey of a thousand miles was your enemies. Okay. <laughs> and that's when he said, okay, we're with you. <laughs> You're not going to just throw our lives away. You understand the value, you know, of our people. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I always, I've started adding morale more into the games where, because first of all, yeah, you take prisoners. Yeah, come on. I mean, you can, you can interrogate and find out information. I mean, what, what is it? Um, they may turn sides. No, it's the, the infamous cartoon where the guy is sending crony, get them my cronies. And all of a sudden you sway them to your side and your hero goes, no, get them, get him. My cronies, <laughs> ah, yes. with my in caps for the heroes, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, I've started using these morale rules and combats and wrap up pretty quick because usually they'll do something. One of our usually one of our mages that will do something that just everybody's like, okay, all right, whoa, we're sorry, geez, okay, settle down. <laughs> Beyond our pay grade, man, they didn't say fireballs are going to be involved. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, why don't you uh, talk about the uh, uh, the next one? Ah, okay. Mages Before. have lots of starting money and don't buy armor and use tree branches for weapons. That is true. Quarterstaff and club costs nothing. So lend it to the frontline fighters to improve armor or buy a healing potion. Better armor equals more life points. I have never thought of that. That Well, because the mages, what they do, they want to buy, well, we have our robe, and I got my spell book, and I got my pen and ink, and yeah, I, I never thought of, you know... Well, because, well, it's one of those things, mages having to sacrifice the stuff that they do to help the party. That was one of the reasons why they changed in Pathfinder 
that you don't lose experience points for magic item creation. Because yeah, here's, I, I hated that. It what, was that so they, stupid. Yeah, that they did that or that they changed it. I hated that they they, that they would they would uh, they would penalize the mage for making the very items the party needed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Pathfinder, they got rid of that, which I thought was great. So yeah, I mean, but mages, you can get more money a lot easier than experience points. So yeah, I may not have you know the best-looking robes, but look at my large friend there with that plate mail. Oh, okay, I see your argument. <laughs> You've made a very strong point, good sir. Yeah. I mean, healing potions might be a little expensive to buy with starting money, but yeah, if you buy your pl if you buy your fighter that nice swanky new half plate or full plate, he's going to protect it because, like, my friend here bought this armor. I'm going to protect him. Right. You're not going to hurt my wizard friend, are you? No, sir. <laughs> Right, and and it's because for the fighter, you know, the higher the armor class, the less they get hit. That's essentially the same thing as saying every time that they would have gotten hit, add that to his hit points. That's how that's what effectively he is now. So someone who had maybe sixteen hit points now really has twenty four because it's that much harder for him to be he or she to be hit by opponents. Oh. But it's not just, you know, um, uh, flight arrows, you know, for the um, the ranger. Um, they, they In some games, they make a distinction between regular arrows and flight arrows, which have, like, one's a D8 and the other one's a D6. So, but they're more expensive. Or taking some money and silvering a weapon, you know, like, say, that, again, that frontline fighter who might be coming up against a were-rat or a werewolf. Yeah. Uh, you know. They need that that silvered weapon, okay? yeah. And and if you can pony up that money for them, uh, then th it helps everybody. You know, not to mention the really big problem about now you've got a party member that could turn into a monster at any moment. What was the? Oh gosh, um, there I saw some ad or read some ad or I think Z on my show read it about yeah. Don't have the mage dress up in robes. That points him out as a mage. People want to hit him so they don't get hit with a fireball. Dress him up, you know, in, you know, normal street clothes. And it's like, yeah, if he isn't spending money on the swanky robes, you can give it to your fire. <laughs> That's right. Dress him up as, dress him up as a, as a, uh, uh, a torch carrier. Yeah, exactly. You know, just simple peasant clothes will work. Yeah. Because he's only going to be casting one, one spell, you know, again, first edition. He's yeah. only going to be casting one spell the entire day. So really, he doesn't. He doesn't really need to have a whole lot of stuff that, that screams, I'm a mage. Yeah, exactly. You know, most yeah. of the time, he's going to be throwing oil along with all the other hirelings. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not going to crack open the core rulebook to see if that's the, the way now in, as far as their starting money, but it just... It actually got better. Uh, you know, the, the mage's money was relatively poor, you know, compared to the fighter, but still, you know, it's it was, uh, you know, it, it just... It, it would usually make the difference between one point of armor in a fighter. You know, it allow, you you couldn't nobody could ever afford uh, pl uh, plate mail at first, oh, yeah. at first level. It, it, okay, but you could afford banded mail. That was, it was like it went from seventy-five gold pieces to ninety. Fifteen gold pieces, which usually the mage had, could make make that a, a very important difference to that fighter. That one point usually could make the difference. Yeah, I'm on, okay, I'm on d20pfsrd.com now. Uh, starting wealth for a wizard, 2d6 times send gold pieces, average 70. In addition, each character begins play with an outfit 
for 10 gold pieces or less. Ain't no shame in wearing a peasant's outfit. You don't need the robes on. Don't don't have the red, don't let them red dots get on you. Now let me look at let's say a fighter. What the crap? 5d6 plus times 10 average 175 gold pieces for fighter well it's because they have they need to buy the armor that's why they did it they need oh by the armor need to buy the shield they need weapons to buy, a lot of times they have to buy like uh an expensive bow yeah okay i see what they did there yeah but let's face it a wizard all he really needs clothing a spell book ink and quill and a spell component couch and a belt that's all he really needs right. he can pick up the sticks anywhere because they can use That's a club right. or a staff. Yeah, yeah. If you get fancy, then he, he gets a um, you know like you know darts. You know those actually cost a little bit. Yeah, but still, you can hand some of that money over to your fighter to you know help him get a better sword or a shield or whatever. Yeah. That's okay, because you're going to more and make up for it later. He saves your life now. You, you know, n kill it with fire from above later. Yeah. Suborbital bombardment. Cast flying yourself and start throwing lightning bolts and fireballs. Just need a couple of levels. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's any, anything that you can do. And again, you know, the mage, you know, might want to take some of that money and buy flaming oil for everybody. Oh, yeah. That's so there anybody anybody who isn't currently, you know, uh, in, in combat, you know, can throw some flaming oil. And, you know, it's, it's, even at the, at, the, at the nerfed fifth edition version, it's still, it does at least a D6 damage. And that and person's not going to be attacking you because they're going to be too busy padding it out. Well, hopefully, because if they don't, then uh, hopefully your GM's using these the um, uh, spreading rules. Yeah. You know, where the fire just keeps on going. <laughs> and, you know, that can, that can get really nasty, especially amongst those who wear a lot of robes. Yeah. You know, like your cultists. Cultists love oh, robes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Light them up. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, and and then of course you know you uh, in in some versions you have really nice you know alchemy type materials and maybe it'll allow you to get like a tangle foot bag or uh, something else. I mean, I'm saying the mages should just shouldn't just say, well, I need to hold on to this money because I'm going to need to buy you know something in a level. You know, and the answer is okay if you're not succeeding in, in your missions as a character, you know, that money's, you know, let, let that money do something, okay? Invest it in the party instead of letting it, you know, just sit there hoping that, you know, because I, I know, I know I, I have a, my character right now has like 8,000 gold pieces just sitting in his pocket, okay? And, and it's, but he's, you know, he now has a house full of people, you know, fighters and various types supposed to turn this into like a little mini keep, and he's going to use that money to pay them and you know and other things you know because things are just so expensive to do um in fifth edition a lot of times um anyways the uh but it's if i don't get something i can use that money for soon then it's, i'm wasting it i might as well just go ahead and give it to my church you know because i'm a good I'm, I'm 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 actually chaotic neutral but i i worship the uh the god of the silver flame which believe which is which believes in everybody living um, a, a, a an aspiring life, you know. Try to live to a higher standard. <laughs> Don't just like do the easy thing. Try, you know, if you can do good, do good, you know. <laughs> and so, even though I'm chaotic neutral, I'm always finding myself doing the doing doing the, the uh, you know the, taking the high road. 
But I keep telling people, don't think that I'm a, I'm a good character. <laughs> You'll find out. I have an later. ulterior motive for being a nice so, guy. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm doing it because I, I believe in my God. Okay, but sooner or later, you know, there's going to, I'm going to follow my alignment. Just don't you worry about that. So, anyways, it's just... Uh, Chaotic neutral, uh, folks. Maybe I'll kill yeah. somebody. Maybe I'll have ice cream. I'll decide in the car. Yep. Right. But it's not, you know, but chaotic neutral doesn't mean that you are like cap totally capricious either. It just it just means that you don't care that much about, you know, uh, you, you know, you, you go with your gut. Yeah. You know, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.